19 and 20. Uh, There are 39 kings over this divided kingdom over a span of several hundred years. Uh, God had brought about the division of Israel as part of His plan, but He did not abandon His people. The promise that began all the way back in Genesis 3 and had been passed through and threaded through the Abrahamic covenant, through the Davidic covenant, is still being woven throughout the pages of Scripture. And as we come to this period of history that's dominated by these 39 kings, God's promises are still being woven through this time, even in the midst of great wickedness at many times. And I want us to understand that as we look at God's Word, and as you look at some of these passages where you go, well, this is some crazy stuff. God's plan is not being thwarted. God has not forgotten His promises. And God is still interested in being with His people. Just as in your life, when things seem chaotic, God has not forgotten His plan. He's not forgotten His promises. And His plan has not been thwarted. One of the primary means by which God made His will known throughout the Old Testament uh, was through individuals known as the prophets. And this was certainly true during the period of the kingdom where we have these 39 kings. We see a lot of prophets that are, that are preaching God's Word during this time. But, but the prophets aren't something new, are they? Have we seen prophets before in the Bible? In, in, in this survey that we've been doing? Yeah. In, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus notes that one of the first prophets was a man named Abel. Does anybody remember who that guy was? Yeah, one of Adam and Eve's sons. And so God has had prophets all the way since the beginning of Genesis. And we've been shedding their blood ever since. Uh, the uh, son of Adam and Eve was called a prophet. Abraham was called a prophet in Genesis chapter 20. Moses was a prophet. We read that here in just uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, in which we talked about him in that way. Samuel, the last judge of Israel, uh, was a prophet. And we met Nathan, who was a prophet who served in David's time. So we've seen these individuals, and, and um, they've been ministering um, throughout the Scripture. Uh, however, during this period when the kingdom was divided, uh, we're going to see the prophets play a very prominent role. Uh, and this morning, I'd like to clear up a few misconceptions, and then we're going to turn to a specific passage in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to fast forward to the end of this period and look at a particular passage in which one of the prophets spoke. First, I'd like to clear up just a few uh, misconceptions about the prophets, and and then we're going to fast forward uh, to the end of that kingdom. Misconception number one. Uh, Understand that the prophets don't all appear at the end of the Old Testament period. Have you ever read through the Bible and, and thought, okay, I'll, you know, we have the patriarchs, and then we have a bunch of poetry being spoken, and, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the Old Testament, what happens? All these prophets show up, right? And if you read the Bible and you think the whole thing is chronological, which it's not, uh, you, you might be confused as to thinking these guys all came at the end. Uh, again, what we're trying to do in this 31 weeks is, is we're building a frame for a house. Uh, we're, we're not going to hang siding. We're not going to paint the walls. We're not even going to put windows and doors in. Our objective is to help us build a structure to understand how the Bible is laid out. How do all these passages and all these people fit together? And if we can build that framework, my hope for you, for all of us, is that as you're reading through the Bible, you'll come to a passage like Micah and go, where does this picture fit on the wall? 
And with a little bit of research, you can look that up and go, oh, okay, this is the period that he fits into. And, and then you can start fitting that into that framework that you've already built. And, and then when you read the book of Micah, what happens? Now it starts making a little more sense because I understand who he was preaching to, why he was preaching, what was going on in the kingdom uh, during his ministry. And so when you read through the Scripture, uh, you're aware that the books of the Bible are not arranged chronologically, but, but topically. And again, all too often we come to the major and the minor prophets, and, and many of us get a, a little bit lost when we come to these 16 books, don't we? Um, because they're not chronological. They're kind of scattered all over. Some are in the northern kingdom. Some are in the southern kingdom. And um, hopefully this framework will help you so that when you come to Zephaniah, you'll be able to look up when he prophesied and have a better idea of why he preached the message that he did. Uh, so don't make the mistake of thinking that God waited to send all the prophets until the end of the Old Testament. Uh, these individuals uh, were bringing God's message uh, soon after they left the garden and in the wilderness with Moses throughout the period of the kings. In fact, God still is sending prophets in the sense that these are people who proclaim God's word, uh, and he will continue to do so even in the tribulation period. We're told that there will be specific prophets. Uh, which brings us to the second misconception. Misconception number two is that the prophets understand don't all predict the future. That's usually what we think of, right? You think prophet, oh, these are guys who predicted Jesus is going to come. Did they do that? Say so yes, yes, they predicted Jesus is going to come. Uh, the prophets do predict the future. They, they had a message in which they said, this is what God's going to do. And many times those prophecies weren't going to be fulfilled for hundreds of years or sometimes thousands of years but uh, many have assumed that the prophets were only in the business of preaching messages in which they said, thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen sometime in the future. However, that was only a small part of their ministry, really. When you look at the prophets throughout the Bible, that was a significant part of what God called them to do. Uh, you, you'll also be familiar that there were, there were, uh, the prophets, part of their job was to pray on behalf of the people. Remember when uh, one of the kings sinned against Sarah? What did God command him to do? Go to Abraham, a prophet, and he will pray for you. So they prayed for people. They preached a message oftentimes about the future. They were intercessors. Uh, you're probably familiar with a handful of the prophets like Moses and Elijah, Elisha, Joshua, who performed a lot of miracles. And so maybe when you think of prophets, you think of those passages like Elijah on the mountain calling fire down on, on an altar and and oftentimes those things happened, but that also was a small part of their role. The primary role of the prophet was that he was a messenger of the Lord. He preached. These, these guys were guys that preached sermons. In that sense, what you're seeing today is prophecy. I'm proclaiming God's word as we come to Jeremiah here in a few moments. And so the prophets spoke God's word. They, they preached God's message. Oftentimes what they were doing is exactly what we do on a Sunday morning. They come to a passage like Deuteronomy and say, here, look what God says. And here's the sin in our lives, and we need to repent. And that was prophecy. That's the majority of what they did. The main job of the prophet was to preach. And usually they were proclaiming to the people what faith and what obedience looked like in their particular situation. Misconception number three, the prophets didn't all write books of the Bible. Now, did, some of them did, right? 
We've already mentioned the prophets were busy about their ministry from the first pages of Genesis. We don't have a book called Abel, right? There's no book of Enoch, at least not that's in the Bible, all right? It's fiction. Uh, so if you find the book of Enoch, okay, that's not part of God's Word, and it's not by Enoch. It's by somebody else that thought, hey, Enoch's a cool guy. I'm going to write a story about him. So there is a book of Enoch, but it's not Scripture. Uh, most of the prophets never wrote down their message uh, that, in a way that's been passed down for generations to us. Uh, it was during the divided kingdom, this period of history that we're looking at, that these 16 books of the Bible that we know as the major, uh, there's four of them, and the minor prophets. Uh, the major prophets were major because they were taller than the other 12. It's not what it was all about. Um, why do we call them major prophets and minor prophets? Yeah, longer, shorter. In fact, Daniel technically wasn't a prophet. He was a seer. He was a government worker who predicted some things about the future. God gave him several visions, but he never called himself a prophet. Uh, but we do include him with major prophets. So don't forget about guys like Gad and Nathan, Elijah and Enoch and Noah. And don't forget about Moses. In fact, uh, Merv just read for us a passage from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, God prophesied that there was going to be another prophet that was going to come. And there would be many prophets that followed in the pattern of Moses, but there would be one great prophet that was coming. And his name was, oh, please help me. His name was Jesus, yeah. And so Jesus came and he was a great prophet, a prophet like Moses, a prophet uh, who showed us the way. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 24, verse 19, I'm just going to be here briefly. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus had just raised from the dead. And he met two of his disciples on the road who didn't recognize him. We've read this passage before. In fact, this whole series is, is pretty much based on this passage in which Jesus walked with the disciples and he showed them how everything from the Old Testament had pointed to him. In Luke 24, 19, uh, we're told, and, and he said to them, what things about the resurrection, about Jesus dying? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And so Jesus walks with them and explains to them some things. And down in verse 25, it says, and he said to them, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Lord, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so understand that as we consider the prophets, the greatest of all the prophets is a man named Jesus. Thank you, that was much better. Jesus. And so from Abel, who was killed by his brother, all the way to Zechariah, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter uh, 11, uh, we have all these prophets, and then after him came men like the, the apostles, John the Baptist, but Jesus was the greatest. And, and when we read the prophets... Part of the purpose that all this is here is so that we might know who our God is and to point us to the one great prophet, Jesus, that we might know him. So the kingdom divided around 930 B.C. Um, today I'd like us to fast forward about 300 years to the days of the very last king. Uh, the year is 597 B.C. Uh, Zedekiah is reigning in Jerusalem. Uh, he's the last king of, in, in a long line of David's 20 descendants. And, and, well, 21 if you count Solomon. And he, he did what was evil in, in the sight of the Lord. 
Not only was he evil, but he was weak. Uh, he, he was a puppet. He, he, was, he was the king, but uh, just in name, really, because Nebuchadnezzar had come and set him up, and what Nebuchadnezzar said went. And when the wind blew a different direction, uh, Zedekiah went to the pharaoh of Egypt and said, hey, send some horses, send some help. Uh, I'll serve you instead. And so he kind of went with whatever the politics was going on that day, and typically he leaned whichever way the wind was blowing. Uh, three of the four major prophets uh, lived during this time, uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, and a man named Jeremiah. The first two lived in Babylon, where they served among the people there. Uh, but the, the, the third, Jeremiah, uh, was a prophet who was known in Jerusalem. Because God has not ceased to care for His people, and because He has not ceased to pursue a relationship with those that He created, He's continued to send prophets, messengers, to proclaim God's Word. Jeremiah began his ministry uh, during the reign of a good king named Josiah. You might remember him as the eight-year-old king who, who served the Lord well. Uh, he came to know the Lord pretty much around the age of 16, and uh, he served the Lord ever, uh, forever after that. His early messages focused on the words of Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, uh, and he preached a message calling the people to repent. That's why we have a song named Jeremiah as a bullfrog, and the bullfrog says, repent, right? Um, he preached a message calling the people to repent, and his sermons were a, a warning to the last kings uh, of the southern kingdom. And, and he said, destruction's at hand. Things are going to be destroyed. The kingdom is going to fall. And then in the year 605, the king of Babylon comes in and he arrives and he imposes himself on the people. And every year, Nebuchadnezzar comes back with his army and says, fork over the money. If you want me to protect you, i.e., you don't want me to kill you right now, uh, pay your dues. And every year he would come back with, for tribute with his army to enforce his demands. And then in the year 597, uh, things weren't going so well and Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim, the, the, first two, the last two kings before Zedekiah, decided that they were going to try to overthrow Zedekiah. It didn't work out so well. And so, excuse me, over, overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes, he lays siege to the city, lasts very short, and, and in essence he comes in, he takes their young king who's 18 years old, Jehoiakim, he puts him in chains, he puts his mother in chains, and he drags them off to Babylon. And along with them, he takes 10,000 Jews. Is what we call the captivity. We'll get to that story, specific story, in a couple weeks. But what you need to know for today is that nothing, nothing looks like what everyone expected anymore. In fact, the message of the day was the temple, the temple, the temple. We've got the temple in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar can't touch us. They expected that God was going to protect them no matter how much they sinned, no matter how much they rebelled against Him because they had the temple and the temple was holy. Life didn't turn out the way they expected. In fact, from a human perspective, it seemed like God's promises had been destroyed. How, how could all this happen? Our, our 10,000 of our upper class and our upper middle class have been taken away in chains and now they're living on the other side of the Euphrates River. Hundreds of miles away. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, which we're going to turn to today, in Jeremiah 29, we discover a message from the prophet Jeremiah that was written for a people who didn't understand what, what God was doing. You find yourself there sometimes? 
You find yourself going, ah, this just doesn't make sense. Life doesn't make sense right now. This is not the agenda that I planned when I was 17 years old. It doesn't usually turn out that way, does it? And sometimes we look at life and, and, and it doesn't quite turn out the way we think. Well, this first message that Jeremiah had for them this day, the first message that he has for them in, this, in Jeremiah 29 is that God's itinerary often does not match our plans. Listen to what Jeremiah wrote in verse, verses 1 through 3. And setting up the stage, he says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, Babylon is not where they planned on being, was it? They didn't plan to watch their king hold off in chains halfway across Mesopotamia. They didn't plan on living in captivity. They didn't plan on being separated from their homes, from their family in many instances. In many cases, their children stayed and they were taken away. Or their children were taken away and they remained, never to see their family again. They were taken from their friends and they were taken from the land that God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And it wasn't just King Jehoiakim that was hauled away to Babylon. The captivity included priests like a man named Ezekiel. It, it included unnamed prophets, many of them. It included 10,000 mostly upper and upper middle class individuals who uh, now their home was in a foreign land. My friends, oftentimes God's itinerary it doesn't match our plans. You have a perfect path ahead of you. A career, a perfect marriage, a dream home, a dream family. And then you find yourself with a boss that you never imagined working with. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. <laughs> Just... You find yourself with a spouse that's hard to live with. Your children struggle with sin and you have no idea where to begin. Illness hits, and you don't know what the next day is going to be like. When life feels like God's, God has planned harm for you, and you just don't understand why He does what He does. The Jews in Babylon were working through that. In fact, there's a couple psalms that they wrote, which you could see this grieving process as they're taken away to a foreign land, and they're trying to process what God's doing and how all this works, and how do I worship this God when the temple is hundreds of miles away? How do I worship this God when I'm not in the land that God promised? How do I worship God when it seems like His promises have failed? Is He just the God in Israel and not over here? And they're working through that. What about God's promises? What about their covenant? Did God plan to harm them and bring them evil? For many people, it looked that way. They thought that way. My friends, don't be deceived. Here on the lower, lower story, as we've been calling it, it may appear that all is lost. But the upper story continues. The Lord still is bringing about His perfect and good will 
I understand that, and I want you to hear that. The Lord is still bringing about His perfect and good will, even in the midst of the chaos of your life, even in the midst of things that just don't make sense. And like we saw with King Saul, with David, with Solomon, and throughout the divided kingdom, the question is whether you are going to align your will with His. Will you enjoy the blessings of having a heart that's wholly true to the Lord your God, as was the heart of David? My friends, oftentimes God's itinerary does not match our plans. But that doesn't mean that His will has been stopped that stops being perfect. Jeremiah writes this letter to the captive and he proclaims to them also that God's plans require a new perspective. Uh, Look at how he continues. There's four things we see in this section. Here's what Jeremiah's letter said in verse 4. He says, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Did you hear that? He says, To all the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar came and took away. Is that what Jeremiah said? To all the exiles that I, I sent. God says, I did this. Just like he divided the kingdom 333 years earlier. What, what, who did that? God says, I brought this about. This is from me. I'm accomplishing my will here. And, and as the, the people were in Babylon, he says, I sent you there. And so first of all, understand that God's new itinerary for your life, it sometimes involves his discipline. Because he's a mean dad. Is that what it says? No, because He loves you. And sometimes we are really stubborn. Sometimes we really blow it. And sometimes we are persistent and stubborn in rejecting His plan. Even when we're not even doing it intentionally. Blinded sometimes. And ultimately, the reason that the Jews were in Babylon is that God had promised them that He would discipline them because they are His children. He would discipline his, his children, His people, when they continued in sin. And we also need to understand that because God loves His people and because He loves you as a child of God, because God is with His people, often He brings discipline into, into our lives as part of bringing us back to what's true. That doesn't mean that every time you suffer, every time something goes bad, that God is chastising you. Sometimes suffering happens for many other reasons. Oftentimes it happens because we live in a fallen world. But sometimes God's itinerary includes His discipline in bringing us back to the truth, back to walking with Him, back to a clear focus on what the priorities need to be and making sure that we have the right perspective. What's interesting is that the Jews, if you read through these passages in 2 Kings, 1 Kings, all the way back in Samuel, one of the sins that they greatly struggled with throughout those hundreds of years, what was it? Starts with an I. Idolatry. I, they they worshipped idols. They took all the idols and all the gods of, of the lands around them and they formed them from, from stone and wood and, and copper and iron and, and they made these action figures that they put on their mantle. And they worshipped them. Said, this is my God or this represents my God. And God says, no, don't do that. And they struggled with that for centuries because they came into a land where that's just how things were done. So they followed that practice. And God over and over and over again said, don't worship idols. That's not me. Don't create an image that you think looks like me or some other God. But one of the things that they did over and over again was fall into this idolatry 
But one of the things that happened after the captivity of the nation, do you know what, what we see about idolatry after they come back later on? And when we come to the New Testament, I mean, there's a lot of things that Jesus confronts, isn't there? The Pharisees, whoo, they had some problems. The Sadducees, even worse. A lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, a lot of seeking after salvation that was by works and not by grace. But do you ever see Jesus confront them because of their idolatry? You see, one of the lessons that they learned when they were in Babylon was we don't worship idols. <laughs> we did that for a long time, and then God took us to a foreign land. And so after the captivity, this is one of the things that God trained out of them. And you see, God's discipline, it gave them a new perspective about why we don't worship other gods. And oftentimes God's plan is an itinerary for you that is intended for your purification and to align your will to His. But then Jeremiah continues on, verse 5, he says, Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Now, that's not the message you'd think when you're in Babylon, right? We've been taken captive, you're telling me to plant a garden? What's with that? Build a house here? No way, I'm going home. Take wives. And have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. You see, the second perspective that the prophet shows the captives in Babylon is that God's new itinerary sometimes brings unexpected blessings. The Jews had hopes of returning back to Jerusalem as soon as possible. In fact, there were a couple prophets that spoke that way. They were false prophets. And Jeremiah said, don't, don't listen to them. These guys are going to be dead in a couple years. And it came about. But Jeremiah informed them that this was not going to be the case. Their captivity would last several decades. However, they would, however, they would experience blessings in Babylon that they didn't expect. They later found out things had gone so well for them, in fact, that when they started a new life, it ended up going so well in their captivity and that when the captivity ended, many of them said, we're going to stay here in Babylon. We're comfortable. We have our houses and our gardens and our children got married here and we, we like the new careers that we've started. And, and many of them stayed. In fact, many of them stayed so long that um, the Jews remained in Babylon until a guy named Saddam Hussein kicked them out. Many of them remained that long. The last of the Jews came home just a couple decades ago. But all that's another story about the return from Babylon. In verse 7, the prophet Jeremiah continues again. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Whoa, Jeremiah, now you're pushing it too far. You want us to pray for Babylon? Is that what he just said? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to Yahweh on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now that's a different perspective for the Jews. They've been praying against Babylon for a long time, haven't they? Amazingly, God's new itinerary sometimes means unexpected opportunities to serve. God may bring you to a place in your life where, where He calls you to things that you never imagined doing. He calls you to love people that you never imagined loving. The book of Daniel vividly puts this principle on display. 
In the book of Daniel, we find a young man who lost everything. He was one of the first captives that was sent. Uh, We mentioned the captivity of the 10,000. Daniel had been taken away uh, some eight years before that. He was shipped off to a palace of Babylon to serve Nebuchadnezzar. And he had every opportunity to grow bitter and cold. Nebuchadnezzar took away his youth. He took away his manhood. He took away family. Everything that he loved back home. But his trials only served to lead him into a richer relationship with his God. And Daniel found himself proclaiming a message for an altogether different audience. In fact, when God proclaimed a message of judgment against Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, do you remember what Daniel said to him? He says, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, please humble yourself. Daniel prayed for the kings that he served under, these kings that were doing evil things to his own people. Daniel pled with the king to repent and to turn from his pride. And I believe that we'll see this once pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, again. When you read the book of Daniel, I think he comes to know the Lord in the end. It takes a long time and a lot of opportunities but I think he came to know grace and we'll see him in heaven because God used people like Daniel to serve in the midst of unexpected opportunities. It should be a reminder to us that we need to be praying for kings and all those in authority, even those we may not have voted for. Maybe somebody in the House of Representatives or somebody in your county seat that just needs to know Jesus Christ. You may not like them, You may not like the policies that they have, but God has called you to pray for them. And there are going to be opportunities that God puts puts in your life, whether it's politics or work or family, things that you never would have expected, but they are opportunities to serve. And sometimes we need a new perspective regarding what God is doing for you. Don't lose sight of the reality that when your plans are interrupted, God's itinerary for you includes opportunities to serve in ways that you never would have imagined. And also note that God's new itinerary sometimes contradicts the popular messages of the day. Look at the last few verses of this. Verses 8 and 9, he says, For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares Yahweh. You see, the world will continue to send its own prophets. Religious institutions, oftentimes those who claim to be the very people of God, the church, are going to look for messages that they want to hear. Men and women will proclaim a message that people want to hear. They will preach a message that tries to pigeonhole God's plan into our itinerary and a message that requires God to accept our perspective. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this works. Don't be deceived. Finally, note in verses 10 through 13 that God's plans always look far beyond our vision. The false prophets of Jeremiah's day were predicting that their captivity was going to end very soon. Jeremiah told them that this was not going to be the case. They were going to remain until the full 70 years for Babylon, which is still almost 60 years away, until the full 70 years of Babylon's dominion was brought to an end. And then some of the people began to lose hope. 
You see, people were losing sight of God's promise. There were many who imagined God much smaller than the infinite being He is. And, and when they were removed for Jerusalem, they imagined that their God had been made powerless somehow. Just as you are oftentimes tempted to think. You may not put it in those words, but there are doubts. How can this happen to my child if God is in control? How come I'm sick? How come I lost my job? How come these things are happening around me? And, and those temptations, those struggles are real. And our faith is challenged in one way or another. And here Jeremiah paints a new picture for them of what is to come. He goes on and he says, For thus says Yahweh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. That's Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares Yahweh, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares Yahweh, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You see, Jeremiah's message to the captives of Babylon is a message that you and I need to hear. We need to hear it well. Understand that God always fulfills His promises. When God's plan doesn't fit into your itinerary, do not ever forget that God has plans that are good for His people. His plans are good and perfect. Did you hear what Jeremiah wrote? It says these were people who had, they had just lost everything. They had just been dragged halfway across their world. And and their future had been dashed to the ground. They were grieving over their children that had died or had been left behind, or they didn't know if they were alive still and may never have known. But Jeremiah reminds them that God's plans are good and not evil. And His discipline, His plans are good. In His teaching, His plans good in the unexpected turns of life his plans are good jeremiah also proclaimed to them how god how god's plan god plans what was what draws us closer to him let me restate that i made a mumble of it jeremiah proclaimed to them how god plans what draws us closer to him. He foretold here that eventually they would call upon the Lord. That they would draw that God would draw near to them. He would hear them. Several years later when Daniel was an old man, Daniel would read the words of this prophecy here in Jeremiah. He he read Jeremiah 29. You, you read Daniel chapter 9 and he's quoting from Jeremiah 29 and a few other passages including the prayer of Solomon back when he dedicated the temple and Jeremiah 25 and passages of Deuteronomy. His prayer is beautiful and an incredible model for how we ought to pray. But Daniel in part was reading Jeremiah 29 and he said, "Wait a minute. 
God prophesied that when the, the 70 years for Babylon were over, that if we prayed and came to him and called out to him, he would hear us. And so Daniel does exactly that, and he becomes a, a, a fulfillment of that very prophecy and is one of the first to lead the path to many others doing the same thing. God's plans are not for the destruction of his people, even when his ways are not your ways. God is in the business of drawing people closer to him. And God's plans far go far into the future. Too often, we get confused into thinking that this journey that we're on is all about us. But oh, my friend, God has so much more in store and we are just a small piece of this beautiful story. There's a fourth misconception about the prophets. I want you to know and understand that whether you can pronounce their names or not, their message is still relevant for today. Too many people have opened their Bibles to a book like Habakkuk. Habakkuk? Kuki, Habakkuk? What, how do you say that, right? Habakkuk. And they've been deceived into thinking that this message was just for a time long ago. Habakkuk's message and his sermon was for a people who died in the captivity. But that's not true. Too many people have opened up to Obadiah and have been deceived into thinking that this message is no longer deserves or needs to be heard. But their message is still intended to be heard. Their writings are to be read. My friends, all of Scripture is inspired all of Scripture is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it goes into places in your life that the doctor's scalpel can't go. It penetrates deeper, more cleanly than any other instrument. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 10-12, through 12, uh, Peter, another prophet, he said this. He said, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving, excuse me, that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Things into which angels long to look. Do you hear that? This message that was brought by the prophets from the time of Abel all the way to, to Peter's day when he was writing this. Uh, all the way through the Old Testament as they predicted Jesus was coming. They, they heard their own prophecies. They heard the messages that they spoke. Many of the things that they predicted about the Messiah. And, and they wondered, how is this going to be fulfilled? I mean, they preached it, right? You'd think they understood their own message. The Holy Spirit was indicating, Jesus was indicating through them what was going to happen in the latter days when Jesus was to come. And they didn't understand it. And they longed to understand how these things were going to be fulfilled. They longed to understand how this Messiah was going to suffer and, and how do all these things go together. But they preached that message knowing that their message was not just for them not just for the people that they were preaching to that day, but it was for us. 
It was for Peter's audience. It's for you sitting here in the 21st century, reading the message of the prophets today. And so my friends, listen to what they say. Hear God's message for you. Repent and turn from your sin. Conform your will to His. Understand the God who is with us and understand that He is a God who intends what is good. And so is the great prophet Jesus Christ who is the living Word and who came to die for our sins and who rose from the dead. As this great prophet later said after Jeremiah, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for sending messengers. We thank You that You gave to them a message that needed to be preached. We thank You for the miracles that You brought about through them. We thank You for the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We thank You for the prophecies that we still look forward to in our day as some of these prophecies still haven't come to fruition or in the process of it. We thank You for the the sermons that they preached, for the way that they understood books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and preached a message that the people of their day needed to hear and contains a message that we need to hear today. Father, we thank You for prophets like Abel who were faithful even to the point of death. Most of all, we thank You for the prophet Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. God who became a man, who became the great prophet, who followed in the pattern of Moses and preached Your Word to us. Not only preaching the Word, but who was the Word and dwells in our hearts today. We thank you for Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, for the salvation that he brought. Father, we, may we not go away from here. Please teach us to, 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 to shun a path that rejects the message that you have sent. Might we not only love the great messenger, Jesus Christ, but might we love the word that you've sent.